0: This is Rumble, and I'm Michael Moore. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in Uh, here today. We've got a very special episode that I've been trying to put together here for the last week since the uh, slaughter of the students in Oxford, Michigan, and I will be joined today by Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut. Senator Murphy has been a leading voice when it comes to gun violence in America, and uh, he was the congressman at the time, On december 14th 2012 which is by the way the anniversary's coming up for that here in the next few days december 14th 2012 in newtown connecticut and that is in chris murphy's at the time congressional district he was he had just been elected senator he hadn't taken a seat yet as a senator but he became a leading voice to stop the gun madness in this country and he's been on tv this week and talking a lot about oxford michigan and uh, so we'll talk about that, too, with him. So before we get to that, first of all, let me thank all of you for your overwhelming response to my piece uh, about the shooting in Oxford that I posted on michaelmore.com. And uh, if you don't subscribe, it's free. Just go to michaelmoore.com. A box will come up, click the free thing, and uh, you'll get my weekly letter. And this past Sunday, I wrote one called A Mother's Love for Son, Gun, and Country. And um, it's all about the, uh, the Crumbly family there in Oxford, Michigan. And, uh, and as the prosecutor said there, uh, this was preventable, as so many of these things are in this country. And I've been talking and writing and filming this issue for, I'm in my third decade with it now, and I'm sick of it. And uh, uh, you've not seen me on TV in the last week or so. I don't go on and talk about this. I I remember I told, I don't know, Larry King or Piers Morgan after Sandy Hook, in fact, don't invite me on again. I'm not going to come on and talk every time there's a gun, uh, one of these mass shootings or whatever. Uh, I'm out. I'm done talking about it. I'm for doing. And if there's not going to be any doing, I don't want to be part of it. So Senator Murphy uh, is a doer, and we're going to talk to him about that uh, uh, here in just a few minutes. So, but thank you for those of you who wrote to me and made comments about my piece on this shooting in Michigan. And please um, uh, subscribe, uh, everybody else who, who's listening. It's very easy to sign up. It's a free subscription. MichaelMoore.com. That's it. It'll pop right up, and then uh, it'll ask you uh, uh, to subscribe. And yes, you can become a paid subscriber, and you know there's a couple things you get for that. But one of them is this coming Sunday afternoon, two p.m. Eastern. Uh, I'm going to do a live uh, Q and A with the paid members. Uh, so if you want to do that, you know I think it's five bucks a month or whatever. Help support our work, great. Thank you. And every you know couple months or so, there'll be a Q and A with me. And every other couple months, uh, we have this thing called Mike's Movie Night. And We're going to have the second movie coming up here in the next month. So um, you you know you get to participate in that for free if you're a paid member. But you don't have to be a paid member. You can get my letter every week, um, and you get this podcast every week. Uh, sent to you uh, via email just go to uh, michaelmoore.com sign up for that and um and if you if you decide to become a paid member then you'll get a, a notice on sunday morning with a link where you can participate in this personal q a with me ask any question you want have conversation with other people here at 2 p.m eastern time uh, uh 11 p.m pacific time and sometime in the early evening in europe and the rest of the, the rest of the world um i don't know all your time zones but um Hopefully you can you can join us. Also thanks to everybody who has been going to the Moore store during the holidays here and, and buying up all the t-shirts and ball caps and hoodies and whatever from our film production team. There's still time to do that if you want it to arrive for Christmas, uh, Saturday, December uh, 11th, that's this coming Saturday. It's the last day for guaranteed uh, United States Postal Service first class delivery uh, by Christmas. So uh, go to the Moore store and you can get some rumble, Uh, gear, and uh, other things, Um, a portion of the proceeds, all this goes to support uh, the various causes that you know I support, and also one that you may not know, uh, the cause of getting civics and art back in our schools, Uh, uh, two things that are very much needed in a free society, and uh, so go to the Moore store, pick up some stuff for the holidays. Senator uh, Chris Murphy will be joining us momentarily. But first, let me give a quick shout out to our underwriters. First, I want to welcome a new underwriter to the podcast, a company that we just started using ourselves a few weeks ago with our store, online store here, and they're called, and you've heard of them, Shopify. Shopify, it's the all-in-one platform to buy and sell things. They've set it up as a countermeasure to the big box stores and big corporations that have been crushing small businesses for decades. Shopify helps the mom and pop shops, uh, help them level the playing field, and it gives them the chance to start, run, and grow their own business. And that could be you too. So think about that. Uh, we're, that's why we're really happy to have them supporting us. In fact, last month when we launched the Moore store, we decided to use Shopify ourselves because of their great service and their outstanding technology, their low cost, and their values about helping the little person here in our society, the one that doesn't have big lobbyists and big money and all that uh, backing them. That's my experience. We open quickly. We're able to start shipping all of our stuff very quickly, very successfully. So I've seen it firsthand. So go to Shopify.com slash rumble. And by the way, this time you got to put rumble in all small characters, all lowercase. So it's Shopify.com slash rumble, all lowercase. For a free 14 day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. See for yourself how easy this is and grow your business with Shopify by going to shopify.com slash rumble small letters. I also want to thank our longtime underwriter, ExpressVPN, for supporting this podcast and supporting our privacy online. If you go online without ExpressVPN, this is telling just from my personal experience, it's like using your smartphone without a protective case. Oh yeah, I learned that the hard way. You've got to have a protective case on this thing for when you drop it. Well, every time you connect to an unencrypted network, your online data is not secured. You know that. I know that. So it doesn't take much knowledge or skill to hack into your computer, steal your data, and sell it. My crew and I we use ExpressVPN uh, when we are making our movies. And why is that? In order to keep our work protected, as you can imagine, uh, that's one of the most important things we have to do. So. We also use it because it's super easy. And uh, no matter what device you're on, phone, laptop, smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button for instant protection. So secure your data online today by visiting ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN.com slash rumble. And you'll get an extra three months for free. ExpressVPN.com slash rumble. Man, looking for Sam. joining me now here on rumble for the first time is one of the leading voices for gun reform and gun safety in america connecticut united states senator chris murphy thank you senator murphy uh, for uh, appearing on my podcast here today uh, for the past week or so it's been uh, you know this hit very close to home uh, the shooting at oxford high school as i said that uh, that high school is about 19 miles as the crow flies from where I went to high school. So on that level, it's personal, but it's been personal for me for a long time since Bowling for Columbine. After Parkland, uh, I went down and spent a week uh, with the kids down there a week or so after the shooting. And you, sir, have been uh, such a force for good, especially since the massacre at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, uh, Connecticut. Where are we at? I mean, this is, you know... You know what the average American and, you know, the tens of thousands who are listening to this right now, what they're thinking is, where are we? I mean, back when you were proposing some initial legislation right after Sandy Hook, the polls showed that close to 90% of the American people favored some form of gun control legislation. And here we are all these years later, and, and I've met with and spoken to parents at Sandy Hook, uh, and it's just people are just throwing their hands up. They've had it. They don't want this to happen in their school. They know it will now. They expect it to happen. We've raised a generation of kids having uh, active shooter drills on an ongoing basis, and they have to live with this fear when they go to school. Please give us some uh, sense of hope. Well, I I mean, listen, first of all, let me just
1: thank thank you, uh, Michael. It's great to be with you, frankly, before the birth of the modern anti-gun violence movement, which I date to Sandy Hook. Uh, You were... Um, out there working and educating on this this issue. And um, thank you for that. Uh, Listen, I'm full of hope because I um, believe this, that uh, the modern anti-gun violence movement is uh, a social change movement, not unlike the civil rights movement or the marriage equality movement. Those are movements that had enormous power sitting inside the status quo. Um, that had to build themselves up from scratch. And unfortunately, those movements took um, decades in order to achieve what they were setting out to do. Um, We're in the same position. In 2013, when Sandy Hook happened, uh, the gun lobby was at their zenith. They basically got, uh, for 20 years beforehand, anything they wanted from Congress. And we were, you know, virtually powerless. There were a couple groups out there like Brady that had been sort of holding the torch. But uh, we've had to build something um, almost from a whole cloth. And we need to continue to build because, well, we've had success. Um, I, there's dozens of state laws in both blue and purple states that have tightened gun laws. Um, and we've made some small progress here in Congress. We obviously still haven't gotten that big federal law that will make our streets safer. But we will get there. Uh, I mean, I just sort of see the numbers. I see how the gun lobby is losing strength. I see, you know, how our numbers continue to increase. We are now at the point where we have a House of Representatives that will pass a background checks bill. We have a president that will sign it. We have the majority of U.S. senators who will support it. We just don't have a super majority in the Senate. That's fundamentally different than in 2013 when we, you know, couldn't get it past either chamber um, or back before Sandy Hook when a shooting happened, you'd barely get one single member of Congress, normally only Carolyn McCarthy from New York, who would even be booked on TV to talk about all of this. So we're in a different place, but we're not there yet. And I just want people to have faith that we have to continue building this movement and we will win. The cause is that righteous.
0: And I think this movement has been built primarily out of Connecticut with Sandy Hook Promise and and of course, and there's these other groups too, that really have grown every town, uh, USA, all the, all these other, these newer groups. I mean, you're right. When, when Bullet for Columbine came out in 2002, that no Democrat would, uh, appear with me at any of the premieres of, of the film because it, uh, back then it was, it was political death. The NRA would come after you, they primary you and, and as a Democrat, you'd, you'd be out of there were those days. Are no longer with us, and the NRA uh, has been falling apart, filing for bankruptcy, uh, caught in, in various scandals of their own. Um, it seems that that, and we have the majority of people on our side, vast majority of people on our side, including vast majority of gun owners, and including a slight majority of those who belong to the NRA. All want this gun reform, you know, and and everybody, you know, people especially you know, back home in Michigan contacting me after last week. What are we going to do? What are we? And I don't, you know, I think I, I just said, I don't know. I don't know what new I have to say about this other than what I think that, that, that we have to push this even harder, further, faster. This thing, the fact that you do have a majority of senators with you on your bills. Um, but now, as you said, the super majority, a new term uh, that we didn't grow up with in civics class. It was a majority meant, 51% or 50% plus one, what can we do to get rid of the filibuster? I've heard you speak about this recently. You're fed up with it too. It seems like, especially for issues like this, why do we allow this this archaic thing that was really mostly used in the last century to stop uh, integration, uh, to stop anything that would help minority people? What, what I mean, Can we just stop with this? Is there some way I know President Biden is, has his nostalgia for his years in the Senate and the filibuster and all the other archaic forms of. But we are in the 21st century now. Something has to be done.
1: Well, and, and that's that, that. That's exactly right. Um, remember when the assault weapons ban passed in 1994? It did not have 60 votes. Not even close. I, I for I forget the exact number, but it passes with. 52 53 or 54 votes correct um because back in 1994 the filibuster was not used in the way that it's used today even for something as as hot and as controversial at the time as an assault weapons ban the minority party the republicans at the time did not um, apply the filibuster now it's applied to everything every single piece of legislation every nominee has to clear this supermajority, and so You know, if we could go back to the days in which the filibuster was reserved for only a handful of bills a year, you know, maybe we could live with it, but not now, not when it's used for for, for everything. So what do we do? So so one of the things we talk about is, you know, let's make people filibuster.
0: Yeah, make them stand. Make them stand for 14 hours.
1: Right, because, so here's what would happen. You would think really carefully about filibustering if you actually had to do it. If you had to stand on the floor... For a couple days, you would do it when you thought that right was on your side. But with something like this, where ninety percent of the public wants universal background checks, are you really gonna filibuster something that nine out of ten people support? Probably not. Um, But now there's no cost because a filibuster just means not showing up to the Senate floor. All that—that's what a filibuster is today. Reverse the presumption and maybe. Um, we, we get a change on things like universal background. checks. So that's why we think about reforming the filibuster back to what it was originally, not getting rid of it, but just saying, if you want a filibuster, you actually have to get your ass down to the floor of the Senate. Right. Yeah. You can't phone it in. So what are the chances of that happening? I mean, uh, you know, uh, there, the, it, it's, it's not slim to none, we obviously have to get fifty votes to change the rules. We are, you know, having a conversation amongst ourselves about how to restore the Senate back to a place in which it could it could debate big pieces of legislation.
0: Um, stay tuned. The, um, you mentioned also recently that I don't know if you were on Lawrence or it was I saw you basically you said something very powerful. You said that if the American public saw the actual carnage, if they actually saw, for instance, at Sandy Hook, where there are twenty first graders who are killed, And six staff members. If they actually, if people could see this in the way that Emmett Till's mother back in 1955 had an open casket when he was murdered by the Klan uh, down south, and she wanted the American public to see what happened to her little boy. And then when you and I were, you know, um, I don't know, you were a kid or I, I was a teenager during Vietnam. On the evening news every night, we saw the slaughter. Yeah. Life Magazine, I don't know what year it was, 67, 68. They devoted the whole issue that week to the 560 American soldiers, roughly, who had died that past week. And they put a picture of every one of them, page after page after page after page. That visual, that kind of journalism did more to get white people on board with the civil rights in the 50s, I think did more than maybe anything to turn the American public against the Vietnam War in the 60s. And you said that if Americans could see this, and of course nobody wants to put the parents through any of the the hardship that that would cause, but if if the parents said, yes, I want America to see what happened to my child, you've seen the crime scene photos at Sandy Hook. Is that correct? I've seen some of them. But you you saw enough to know what we're talking about. Yeah. Can, Can you just share with people what that scene looked like at Sandy Hook Elementary School that day?
1: You know, these were um, these were first graders. They weighed, yeah. um, you know, 50 pounds, maybe. Um, right. All of them died. All of them died. Not a single kid survived. And the reason for that is that these high-powered rifles um, are designed to essentially liquefy your organs, right? Um, when a bullet travels through a little body that fast, yeah. um, I, I tell people, move your finger through um, a tub full of water very slowly and then move it through 10 times as fast and watch how the ripples how the water just explodes as you run that finger through very quickly that's what happens when a bullet from an assault weapons runs through a kid's body uh and you're right these are the most private of images these parents have all the reasons in the world not to want the world to see what these bodies look like um but um you know visuals change people's minds. They have since the beginning of history. People think differently about, about Biden's decision to leave Afghanistan because of the visuals um, from the airport. People thought differently about Syrian refugees when they saw a picture of a little dead body washed up on a beach. Um, yes. Visuals change people's minds. And at some point, there will be a parent who will um, release the image of what their child looks like after one of these shootings. And I wish that wasn't. I wish it wasn't true that that might be necessary in order to yeah. change
0: people's minds. But it will. Wish it wasn't necessary. But I. I think you're right, though. I think that, and I've, I've spoken to people in law enforcement in Connecticut who have seen the photos, and they said it would. That would change anyone's mind immediately. That we have to do something about this. There would be no more debate, because essentially, as he explained it to me, in that one closet bathroom in one of the classrooms. Where there where the majority of the children actually were hiding and he opened that door the killer I, I don't even want to describe it but basically you know what I'm saying there there were uh you know they needed dental records I mean it was that bad at close range and to think that this could happen to your child tomorrow the next day next week
1: I don't yeah know. Mike and Michael it happens you know and let's just talk about this for a second it happens every night uh, I mean it's it's um, yeah you know, that's that's just the thing to remember is that obviously we're caught in this cycle where the where the country pays attention after a school shooting because that is terrifying. That does feel that there's there's supposed to be something sacred and safe about our schools, um, but this is happening um, virtually every night. These these images, right, um, of of bodies destroyed by bullets. Um, right. it's, it doesn't happen just when there's a school shooting.
0: That's true. I mean, there. Are, what's the statistic I saw? By the end of this month, we'll be close to 400 mass shootings. Mass shooting defined as four or more people uh, shot in this country in just this year. It's almost one one a day.
1: Yeah, I on mean, average. And, and we define you know, we define mass shootings as four or more shot at one time. I mean, on at that one same time, day, yeah. there was a yeah. a shooting in Texas where um, you know four people were killed, and it didn't get any publicity. Um, it was a domestic violence crime. It was a um, a, a man who shot his, his wife and uh, her child and the child's um, boyfriend or girlfriend and then killed himself. Um, unfor- that's happening every single day in this country. And there's not, a, there's not another country in the world right. in which that's happening every single day. When that happens in a European country or an Asian country, it's big news when it happens in the United States of America, unless it's in a school or a shopping mall,
0: nobody's paying attention. So what is it about us? Why do we have this level? Because we're good people. (laughs) We are good people. The majority of Americans are good people. So why us? Why not the Canadians? They have virtually the same culture. I don't want to say exactly because things are very different about Canadians, but they watch the same TV shows in American TV. Their kids play violent video games. They watch violent movies, you know, and, and, and hunting is the number one sport in Canada uh, more than hockey. So they have guns in their homes. They have, Hunting rifles and shotguns, why don't they do this in the on the same level? What is it about us? Have you ever thought about that?
1: Yeah, I I mean, obviously, you know, you've spent a lot of time thinking about this. Um, I've spent a lot of time writing about this. I wrote a book a year ago on this question. Um, and, um, you know, listen, there's a lot of theories here, but it's interesting to look at history. So American violence rates look a whole lot like European violence rates until about 1840. At 1840, we start moving off the chart, right? We become a violence outlier compared to other high-income countries, right right in the decade before the Civil War. And there's a few things happening at that point. It's the first big wave of immigrants into this country. It's right after the invention of the cotton gin. So there's an explosion of the slave uh, population. And it's the moment when the handgun is invented and the moment when the United States decides not to regulate the handgun. Um, all of those things contribute to this exceptional level of violence. But um, I would argue that it's the explosion of the slave population that is probably the biggest explanation for it because this country becomes anesthetized to systemic violence. We build an economy in the early 18 and mid 1800s predicated upon the use of violence to keep um, an entire race of people enslaved. And what you see is at that moment, violence rates go up even when it comes to white-on-white violence because it just becomes accepted as the way that we settle arguments, the way that we deal with our anger. Um, This country just decides to live with violence in a way that other countries don't decide. That happens a long time ago. And and we have, I don't think, ever been able to put that genie back in the bottle, right? Slavery just became Jim Crow, which just became incarceration. Um, all different forms of violence. Um, I think it's a, I think the story of America's obsession with violence and, and, and gun violence has really long roots back to the 1800s. And until you sort of sit down and have a really um, nuanced um, and open conversation about that uh,
0: and what to do about it, I, I don't
1: think things will change. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Even right up until this century, uh, we invade a country that had nothing to do with 9-11 and caused the deaths of Tens of thousands of Iraqis, uh, more than four thousand of our own troops, for what? I mean, this is like let's just solve this with more violence. Let's invade a country, or or let's let a teenager off in Wisconsin for walking through a town with an AR fifteen, and you get more and more of how this seems to be okay. That's right. And the irony of Connecticut, really, I mean. <laughs> the gun companies that uh, either have been formed or are still there. I think Colt. We made them all. Yeah. And then, and then a lot of people don't know, but in Newtown itself is the second largest next to the NRA, the second largest, what I call gun lobby group. They're, they're the lobby group. They call themselves the shooting sports uh, lobby, but they are the, essentially the lobby for the gun manufacturers and all the money that's gone into them over the years. And the fact that they're just a couple of miles down the road from Sandy hook elementary, the fact that, that you and your fellow senator and the others there in Connecticut have led the charge to get, get us to do something about this, considering the history of Connecticut with guns and the fact that this gun lobby is in Connecticut. it's. I'm sorry to put this on your shoulders, but I just. Well, I mean, listen, my, listen to make
1: it easy to, to, to sort of thicken the irony, my office in Connecticut is in the cult. Manufacturing buildings, so the old building where the Colt manu- where the Colt guns were made, mm, an iconic geez. building on Interstate ninety one in Hartford. That's where my office is, um, and and that's not by accident. Um, it, it, but there, a lot of those companies are still there. And and Michael, can I just make one quick point? I'm so yes. glad you brought up the yes. the, the wars overseas because I, I, in my book, I actually wrote a chapter on the the violence we export. Um, because you're exactly right. I mean, part of the story of American violence is the way in which we have signaled um, through our foreign policy, how acceptable violence is. And, and you know all the weapon systems in the world today have roots in the United States. The guns that are being used in Central America and in Mexico by the drug cartels, those are all bought in the United States. I mean, the story of global violence runs through the United States as well, but it also, creates this culture in the United States by which both our domestic policy and our foreign policy creates this acceptance of violence. And it's obviously been elevated by Donald Trump. It's been elevated by a Republican party who has taken the sort of fetidization of guns to a new level. Um, But it it has long. long And,
0: And now, and it's in your very chamber, the year we're still in the beginning of this year, the violence that took place when they came into the Senate chamber, took it over, and now continue even just today the the level of vi- violent talk uh, between some members of Congress the way that they are, are using threats the way that that I, I mean the sick member of Congress with the post the Christmas card with all her kids holding automatic weapons it's madness
1: yeah it is it is it is madness and um, you know again the, the, the you know President Trump we can pile on but um, to have the, the commander-in-chief, Uh, you know sort of egging on violence at his rallies to have him lionizing the individuals who you know broke into the united states capital who clearly had you know some intent to hurt us if they found us uh, kill us not kill us i don't know um it, it all it all leads to this legitimization of violence and listen we we have to understand that um you know deep down inside us biologically is a predisposition to violence we 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 are a species that is historically much more violent than almost every other mammal species. And, and, our, and our story over the long haul has been about how we have sort of suppressed those violence instincts, how we have become less violent as a race, um, but that's still inside of us. Um, it, it, it's still a, a trigger. Uh, and so um, when people are sort of given a little bit of permission um, mm-hmm. to connect back with that biology of violence, um, their 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 genetic circuitry connects very easily, um, and we just have to we have to understand that and 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 understand how dangerous it is it is when leaders give permission to violence and when you have a guy sending out a Christmas card a congressman sending out a Christmas yeah. card with his family armed with assault rifles those brains that are breaking like that child in uh, Oxford High School he thinks well this is a legitimate. Uh, uh, you know, this is, this is, this is a, a legitimate instrument. This is a mainstream instrument. And if a congressman has assault rifles in his Christmas card, then it's probably okay for me to use something like that to try to, um, right. uh, exercise the demons
0: inside my head. Seriously. I, when I think of Sandy hook, I think, and I don't, I'm not, I'm loath to mention ever the names of these uh, killers, but we do know that, uh, this individual who was 20 years old, his father was a vice president at General Electric. When people say, "Oh, we just need to get some mental health," that's the other side. They always say, "Just more." You know, more. Well, uh, he had he had probably the best health insurance anyone who was a vice president of General Electric would have for their kids. It is that we do need more mental health help in this country, but it's not just that alone. And I just I think the last words in Oxford High School the, he wrote on his desk three hours before the murders was, "Help me." I can't make the voices stop. Yeah. And every and every and they showed it to the parents. They called the parents into the school 2 hours before the murders. Read this. Look at this. But you know that there's no there's no evidence that there's
1: any greater level of mental illness in the United States than other countries. The difference here, listen, we should fix our mental health system because it's broken because there are way too many people that don't get treatment. But period stop. We shouldn't fix it because we think that's our broken mental health delivery system is what's causing the mass shootings. What's causing the mass shootings is that in this country, if your brain is breaking and you have easy access to a weapon of mass destruction, that does not exist in any other country in the high income world. There are plenty of other broken brains. Kids, white males, but they can't so easily get their hands on a semi automatic handgun. The same day that Sandy Hook happened, there was a mass attack in a school in Henan Province, China. The same number of people were attacked, but every single one of them survived in that school in China versus every single one of the kids being attacked, dying in Sandy Hook. Why? Because it was a knife in China. Exactly. And it was an assault weapon
0: in Sandy Hook. Final question. You and I are both from Irish ancestors. Um, I think, is that a safe assumption? It's via yeah, Murphy, yeah, you know, with Murphy. Senator safe Murphy, safe, safe, yes. Safe, safe, <laughs> okay. okay. It was amazing when uh, uh, President Clinton uh, brokered the, uh, the the Good Friday Agreement. And that, uh, but part of the agreement was that both sides were going to have to turn in their guns the IRA and the, uh, the, the Protestant uh, royalists and it was the most amazing thing. I had a TV show at the time on uh, NBC and I, I wanted to cover it live and I got Bono to agree to give uh, tickets away to the next U2 concert uh, over there in Belfast. And and I said so everybody who comes in and brings your gun into me, if you want to if you're turning your gun in, I'm going to be there. Hmm. Two tickets to U2. <laughs> and so, And it was amazing, but they were already, everybody was turning their gun, not just the people for the U2 tickets. People were turning in their guns. Irish who were fighting each other for 800 years, turning their guns in. And I, and I thought it was the same thought I had that that they banned smoking in their pubs before we did in our bars and restaurant. If you've ever been to Ireland, how did that happen? Right. But it's, but they turned in their guns is, do I want to believe I live in an America where if whatever needed to be done to secure the safety of our children that most people not all but most people would do the right thing for the right reason is that a crazy notion to think that i'm looking into the crystal ball of the america in the in the near future not at all um because
1: you are right we we are a good people and we are a good Hannah, people. as i mentioned You know, if you look at the rates of violence uh, over the course of the history of the world, they go in only one direction. They go down because over time, as people are given other means beyond violence to protect themselves or to advance their interests, they grab them because in the end, violence makes people deeply uncomfortable when permission is granted for violence um again those base instincts sometimes can take over but when you are given other pathways as the good friday agreement gave nationalists uh, and unionists in northern ireland um, people reach for it Uh, and so yes um i think that day will come in the united states Um, i'm certain it will come and i just you know i just want people to understand um the worst thing that can happen is for people to give up hope and give up faith from the day that emmett till's casket was open to the american public to see to the day that the first major civil rights act was passed it was 13 14 years i hope that it doesn't take 13 14 years since sandy hook to be able to pass a background checks bill. But you know what? The stakes of this issue are too high to give up. Um, I have a seventh grader and a fourth grader. Um, I I know what it's like to grow up in the generation of uh, school shootings. Um, I'm not giving up And my hope. uh, My belief is that parents um, of good faith and good nature aren't giving up either.
0: Yeah. Well, I'd love to hear that. And thank you. The um, I, di- I didn't know those were the ages of your children. So they've been through the active shooter drills yeah, yeah. In, in school. And now I assume as a senator uh, and, and members of Congress, have you guys had your active shooter drill yet? We had it. Considering you had it in January. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, we had it in January. We had the real deal. Yeah, we had yeah. the real deal. So we, um, you know, unfortunately,
1: we, we, we now know what to do. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for fighting for this, uh, for all these years, and uh, please keep at it. And yes, uh, uh, your compromise on the filibuster sounds uh, absolutely sensible, <laughs> and uh, please keep fighting for that, because we can't let this this thing that was used back in the 60s to keep our schools and other things segregated, we need to bring this to an end so we can pass laws like this. Right on. So thank you very much. For, Thanks, Michael. Uh, for this. Thank you. Be well. Bye-bye. I'm going to have a few final comments to share with you uh, before we close here. But b- before we do that, I want to just acknowledge our other underwriters for today's episode. Truebill, man, thank you for supporting this podcast and supporting my voice and helping uh, my listeners save a little money. Truebill, T-R-U-E-B-I-L-L, Truebill, one word, is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't need or want or simply forgot that you had. You know the how they do the recurring charge now? It's like you look at the, you're taking a look at your your credit card, but wait a minute, what? what? You know, I subscribed to Birds Unlimited. When did I do that? Well, this is what's great about Truebill. Their app allows you to see all the subscriptions in one place, all your subscriptions. And it keeps the ones you want and cancels the ones you don't. And it works. I mean, on average, people are saving thousands of dollars a year with Truebill. We got a letter from Becca here. Uh, wrote us about uh, Truebill, saying, hands down, this is the best financial app I've discovered. In my first week, I opened up $187 in unused recurring subscriptions. Ow. we've all had this happen, right? Oh, it stings, doesn't it? I mean, it's like, oh. Anyway, she, Rebecca says, I'm obsessed now. I never want to manage my finances again here without Truebill. So start canceling your unused subscriptions now at Truebill.com slash rumble don't forget the slash rumble go right now truebill.com slash rumble it could save you literally thousands of dollars truebill.com slash rumble and finally of course i want to give a, a shout out to our very first our original underwriter of this podcast anchor stand back, stand back, stand back, stand back. well it was really uh powerful listening to senator murphy today and and to hear his thinking that if only americans saw the crime scene photos of these children now this is i'm sure something that most people of course don't want to look at but we don't yeah but that's the problem isn't it that's the point we don't want to look we don't want to look don't show don't don't show me that don't show me that because if we were to look how could we not act immediately to stop this gun violence Anyways, don't forget, um, for those of you who have a paid subscription, uh, to my weekly letter this Sunday, the, the live Q and a with me 2 PM Eastern time members only, you'll get a, a thing on uh, Sunday morning, uh, from us, uh, where you can uh, click in exclusively to this uh, Q and a, if, if you're a free subscriber, that's great. If you want to uh, help us a little more, uh, with our work, uh, you can become a paid subscriber and, uh, and join in on the, um, on the thing. For those of you who are free subscribers and you're saying to yourself, well, why can't we do this? You know, it, it's, it's the same thing for the comment section. You have to be a member uh, to be, uh, to leave comments because we decided that even though it, it's a little unfair that everybody can't join in the problem. Now we live in our society. We live in a sick, sick internet world where the trolls and the haters and those calling for violence just have this easy access. I'm cutting it off. And I, I know the last thing those haters are going to do is have to write a check to me to, to become a paid subscriber. So they're not around. If you if you are like a paid member of my website, you are uh, you don't have to deal with all this nonsense, all the craziness, all the haters, because uh, they don't want to pay for that. They want it free, and I don't give it to them. And they don't get to participate in our personal online, here on the screen, Q&A that we're going to be doing hopefully every month or two here. So my thanks today to my executive producer, Basil Hamden, editor and sound engineer, Nick Quaz, our jack of all trades and master of all those trades, Donald Bornstein, also an unindicted co-conspirator. We'll deal with that in a future episode. And everybody else who's helped us here getting rumble uh, with Michael Moore. That's me on the air. Much appreciation to all of you. I'm not going to let this issue drop. I know I've been covering it for years Uh, these mass shootings, guns in America, but um, um, we have work to do and let's talk more action. See you, all of you, Sunday for my next letter, uh, free letter uh, on my substack site, michaelmoore.com. And to those of you who are going to join me for the Q&A on Sunday afternoon, looking forward to that. And remember, if you're lucky, I may share with you on Sunday my pumpkin spice peppermint eggnog with Extra gluten recipe that, that will, we'll I'll see. I'll, I, I don't have to run this by my health experts first, but hopefully, I'll see and talk to a lot of you then on this coming Sunday. Thank you, everybody, and I uh, hope you're enjoying the holiday season here as best you can. Take care. Come on, come on.